0: welcome to the primal endurance podcast slow down and enjoy the show where we wrap literally about everything you need to know i'm your host brad kearns are you ready let's go logan schwartz connecting from austin texas thanks for coming on uh i was i was checking back in with you after our, our great time spent together at paleo fx saying what are you up to um are you, are you out there promoting on social media? (laughs) It's like we started complaining about email and social media and that's where we're going to start this show.
1: I am, I I am trying to be a late adopter to all tech. And I figured the late adopters are the ones that, um, uh, you, you get to see, you get to learn from people making all the mistakes in front of you. So I'm, I'm, um, I just can't do it. I just can't. It just changes me as a, as a person fundamentally. I just have to like, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the monk by nature.
0: <laughs> That's exactly what I try to do as well is be the late adopter and wait till all the chips fall. And I remember in the old days, I had a BlackBerry and the iPhone was coming into prominence and I'd watch the people touching the, um, the touch screen to type. And I remember trying it, like, let me see that. And it was so hard to hit the right letter. And I'm like, I'm never doing this touchscreen. I'm going to stay with my my little BlackBerry keyboard. It's way better. That thing's stupid. Uh, And then even now, like when those phones come out and they're so expensive, if you just wait a year, you can go buy a brand new one if you don't like buying used stuff. I like to wheel and deal on eBay, but just being patient and waiting a year, same with a car, man. I mean, you know, oh, the new 2019s are out. Well, there's also some new 2018s that are sitting on the lot. If you like new cars, go grab one of those. D-
1: delayed gratification. It's like we don't, we, we can't, I think as a society, we're losing the ability to, to deal with just delayed gratification. It's like, I don't need the latest iPhone. That's the stress in my life is, uh, you know, the, people are stressed. Like I don't have the newest iPhone or my screen broke or whatever. It's honestly, it's like, do you have water? Do you have food? Do you have shelter? <laughs> if you have that, you're better than, you're, you're You're doing pretty good than 90% of the population.
0: You know what the term is for that stress you just described? No. FOKU. Oh, okay. F-O-K-U, fear of keeping up. That's from Dr. Elisha Goldstein on my show on the Get Over Yourself podcast. Uh, but I, I appreciate this start. We're gonna talk about uh, health, fitness, peak performance, the latest greatest uh, techniques and the transition and thinking that we're onto now, and you're at the cutting edge. And we'll hear about your background. But what a great jumping in point because I feel uh, I think we we connected on uh, the Skype call came through, and uh, you said how you doing. I said, man, I'm overwhelmed right now. I got too much stimulation, too much going on. And um, then we got to talking about the the evils of uh, social media and email. And speaking of that, um, your your comment about Uh, social media being sort of a dressed-up version of of real life such that it's not real life, uh, that part is concerning to me, too. I remember talking to Luke Shanahan recently, and he said, you know, no one's going to post anything on social media that's not inspiring, and that's not a criticism. It's the truth, because we want to post things that are inspiring and and, uh, connect the community and all that, but then if you step back and realize that, that we're looking at an artificial world, uh, that's a tough one, can create some stress like you described.
1: Exactly, exactly. The, the, uh, I follow a movement uh, practitioner named Mike Fitch. And Mike Fitch, um, he, he posts on Instagram, he'll post him doing a handstand or a handstand pushup. But he's like, you see that on Instagram and people try to go, they only see the end product. He's like, you haven't seen the year it took me to be able to do a handstand, a crappy handstand. And then the year it took me to unlearn the crappy handstand. And then the new, the next year, I had to learn how to do a real, uh, gymnastic style handstand. So that's three years worth of daily grind of sucking at something that you don't see. You only see the end product. And so it's almost distorts reality is when, when if all I see is the good in life, then how do I have, I think, I think awesome is normal. So anything that's not awesome, I think is uh, something bad. When, uh, you know, achieving a, 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 a handstand push up or a handstand is something to be celebrated, not something that you just scroll through in an Instagram feed. Wow. Right. Love it.
0: Okay. Let's get back to
1: uh,
0: the Austin journey, especially your time there at UT working with uh, the elite athletes of, of the nation, the division one, one of the best sports programs overall. And then where that led you to your point today?
1: Well, you know, I, I went to undergrad at the university of Texas and, uh, figured out very quickly that, um, I wasn't very smart and that I needed to find something to do for a career. So, um, I knew I dug working out. I kn- I, I knew I loved movement. I was the kid um, in fifth grade that during the parent-teacher conference that his parents would say, hey, if he gets a little rambunctious, just have him uh, run a lap around the school and come back in and he'll sit still. And so usually by the end of the day, I would accumulate about three miles uh, worth of running in uh, in those days. But I, I loved working out. So I got into kinesiology. I, um, a professor said, hey, you should probably go to grad school because um, – you know, you, you seem to have an interest in this. So I went and got my master's in exercise physiology. And during that time, I met a guy by the name of Todd Wright, who now is the strength and conditioning coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. And um, I walked into his weight room and I said, I want to do what you do. And he said, all right, be here tomorrow at 9 a.m. And I, was, oh, I thought he was going to say, be here tomorrow at five
0: am. Gotta, to see if he, you know how they, they they do that first litmus test. The first bar to jump over is gnarly.
1: Yes, he, 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 he I showed up the next day and I was with him for a decade. Um, I first started at a, we, we opened up a gym called Train for the Game here in Austin, Texas, which is basically a performance training facility. So I was there for uh, a couple of years and then uh, went on to the University of Texas for about a decade working with men's and women's basketball, um, and then uh, left there in 2000, uh, March of 2015 um, to kind of pursue some other things.
0: So question for you. I, I sit back and uh, observe the traditional high school athletic coaching program approach and even the uh, Division I collegiate approach uh, with my most familiarity being in endurance running, distance running. And I feel like overall, it's an absolute disaster. And the training methods are uh, rudimentary, poorly considered. So many kids break down, burn out, get sick, uh, fall short of their potential. And I also see in the major sports, the team sports, uh, a high rate of injury and uh, just difficulty keeping kids healthy and keeping them on the field. I don't know, uh, would you like to kind of make an observation on in the general state of athletic training for, uh, division one athletes?
1: Well, what you're seeing on from high school, uh, into division one, into lower ranks of professional into upper ranks of professional, you're basically seeing the athletes that could withstand the training. You're not seeing them because of their training. So basically it's a law of attrition. So, Uh, you know, 1% of high schoolers are going to go on and play, uh, uh, 1% of high school starters are going to go on and play some form of basketball. 1% of those are going to go on to play whatever, some form of professional and, and up. And basically you're seeing the ones that can outlast the training, um, in strength and conditioning. Our main job was to keep players healthy. And we knew, I mean, Todd told me a long time ago, all head coaches are nuts. He would say that all head coaches are nuts. They're crazy. They think they can squeeze that um, that uh, orange and get every last bit of juice out of it, and they don't realize that they killed the orange. <laughs> so um, our job was, a lot of our job was trying to talk, you know, coaches into being like, hey, you know, we might want to take a day off. We practiced, you know, three hours the day before and four hours the day before that, and we had to fly to Manhattan, Kansas and play K-State tomorrow night. So we, we might want to think about, a little rest and recovery. So, um, you're correct. Um, when you get on the higher levels, um, you have freaks, you have basically freaked athletes and, uh, the, the term freak is a term that means it's not humanly, not normally humanly possible to do what they do. And it's true. Um, and, and these guys could, could take that training. It doesn't mean that it's optimal. It just means that they're able to survive that training. And then on that level, the ones that don't survive that training, well, they're, they're not on the team anymore. So basically it's, it's kind of this, this attrition philosophy. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I started wanting to kind of get out of that, um, division one athletics is because I kind of, you know, early on in my career, I had this idea that elite athletes were the healthiest people on the population in the population. So if you study them, you'll know all about health. And, and then you start to quickly realize that, you know, I got this kid that's 19 years old. He's 6'10. He's 250. He looks like a Greek statue with his shirt off. And I, I, I'll, you know, I'll tell him like, hey, if I look like you, I would just walk around naked all day. I, I don't understand why you even wear clothes. But he just looks like a Greek statue. But he can't sleep. He's on multiple medications for anxiety and you know ADHD and all these things. Um, he has terrible nutrition. Um, he, he doesn't even want to walk to class. He's so tired. He doesn't want to walk to class. And, um, I'm like, man, I'm in my thirties and I have two kids and a mortgage and I feel great. And I, I love to walk around outside. (laughs) And so I'm starting to think like, what is, what is the disconnect here? And you just really, you learn really, really early on that on the elite levels, you're really just, you're, you're dealing with people that won the genetic lottery really they're they're able to withstand a massive amount and they you know they have a freak um, ability to do that freak physiology and freak uh, biomechanics to do that
0: so for those who are not in that elite group uh, what are some of the breakthroughs over the last 10 15 years that you've seen to help people uh, stay healthy bring out more of their potential avoid those pitfalls especially uh, in the in the endurance scene where, you know, we have these shocking injury rates, like something like 60% of all runners get injured in a given year and absolute joke statistics like that that are still being played out, even with all this advanced knowledge and performance facilities like yours where you can walk in there, assess someone correctly, give them corrective exercises, all these things that'll blow their mind that their orthopedic surgeon didn't tell them when they went in with the sore knee, but we're... Are we needing to get a more grander adoption or where are we going?
1: Well, honestly, I think what you're seeing in the state, and it's kind of like a doomsday type of thing, but what you're seeing, honestly, I believe, is the degradation of the human body because we don't have to use it anymore. I mean, I I kind of uh, subscribe by the Katie Bowman philosophy of we're either training, like we're either driving our car 200 miles an hour at full speed for an hour, and then the rest of the day, we don't do anything. So it's almost as if our exercise, so in a nutrition analogy would be our exercise are our supplements. So we know that we can't out-supplement a crappy diet. Our normal diet, our average diet is our daily movement, and we don't get enough of this daily movement. We don't have a base to launch those exercise that exercise from. So it's it's we know with nutrition that we should eat, you know, we should worry about our our diet, how much, you know, what we eat, plants, animals, uh, quality ingredients, organic, and then we have some targeted supplements that we can add to that. But in our exercise program, we just decide we're going to kill ourselves for an hour. We're going to take uh, 16 hours or 15 hours of lack of movement and throw that into one hour. And I just think the body does not respond to that. Um, and unless you have a good base to launch from, so I look at runners and running for most people is way above their threshold. They can't even walk for a mile. Like, yes, like nowadays, Like when walking, when did walking become exercise? Walking used to be how a human animal moved from point A to point. Like a snake doesn't say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go for a slither right now. I'm just going to go slither around. It's just what a snake does. And so you take somebody that walks maybe a half a mile a day, um, you know, takes less than 5,000 steps a day, let's say. And then all of a sudden they're saying, I'm going to go run. I'm going to go run three miles today. Well, that might be a recipe for, for disaster. So the ability to have some fundamental ability. So can you walk? Can you squat? Can you go down into a squat position? Like that used to be the restful position of a human, uh, for upper body. Like, can you hang, can you support your body weight with your hands? Like, can you hang from something? Um, that used to be that, you know, it, you look at our physiology, we're, we're basically arborist primates. We have opposable thumbs. They're meant to hang from stuff and climb and do all these things that we did as a kid. So I think it's it's what we're seeing with this is we're seeing a lack of just fundamentals. People are trying to shoot the, the turnaround fadeaway from the three-point line before they can make a right-hand layup.
0: Yeah, Kelly Starrett told endurance athletes in the Primal Endurance Mastery course that 15 minutes of every training hour should be devoted to flexibility, mobility, movement, drills, and, uh, that type of exercise as opposed to just turning on the motor, uh, pressing the gas pedal and, and going forward motion. And that's a pretty, uh, heavy insight when you look at the massive amount of hours that, uh, the triathletes or the ultra runners are logging in the name of uh, performing at their, at their desired event. And I think we get intimidated psychologically when we see on the entry form that we're going to be swimming 2.4 miles, bicycling 112 and running 26. So I better get out there and put in 15, 20 hours a week of exercises that are progressing directly toward those goals. And we don't think about um, if I did some box jumps and some rope climbs, uh, Brian McKenzie, CrossFit Endurance, opening up the people's mindset to that, but then finishing my long rant here, and then you could comment... um, when we do embrace that new paradigm of a broad-based approach to fitness, what I also observe with these forward-thinking people that are willing to try stuff is they go out there and exhaust themselves because now the objectives are even more so than just putting in 50 miles a week of running if you're a marathon runner. Now you're going to do the box jumps on Tuesday and try to get your, your mileage up to 40 or whatever concession, and it all adds up to a stress pattern, even if it's well-intentioned?
1: Well, there's two things there. There's two things on that 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 are excellent. What I, I think a majority of the population, your recreational athletes don't understand is that there is a threshold for adaptation. And all you have to do is barely get above that threshold. You just have to barely break that threshold. Any more than that, Does not gain you any more adaptation in fact it might actually stress you in that or you might get injured so very consciously knowing where your threshold of adaptation is and just trying to barely get that because you're not training for something in six weeks you're trying to get healthy in the next 60 years or next six years so just every single day if you just barely go above that threshold Next thing you know, you've covered a ton of ground. So it's kind of like your the, your, um, your primal endurance philosophy is where is my threshold for aerobic adaptation and stay there. And I will notice over time, again, going back to delayed gratification, I will, I will know over time that I'm gradually building more and more speed at that given um, ability. So it, here, here's an example for you. Let's say I could only do, I want to improve my pull-ups. And let's say that my max I could do in a set was 10. That's all I could do. So most people would say, well, I'm going to do 10 three times in a workout, right? I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to be really sore for about two or three days, and then I'll do it again. So maybe twice in a week, they're going to do three sets of 10 pull-ups. So in that given week, they've done 60 pull-ups. OK, well, what if instead of that you did when you woke up in the morning, you went to your pull up bar and you did five pull ups, which is half of your threshold. And then in the afternoon, you did five pull ups. So you just did 10 pull ups that day. Well, at the end of the week, you've done 70 pull ups. You've done 10 more pull ups than you've done in a very low stress way. And now over time, you take that out to a month, take that out to a year. How many more pull-ups have you done at a low threshold? So you're building a a base. You're building a strength base, like you're building an aerobic base.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of a recent discussion I had with Craig Marker, strong first, and the late Pavel Sootsaline. So sorry to see him go, Uh, but he has this concept. They've been promoting this concept called high-intensity repeat training as opposed to high-intensity interval training. Whereby an interval workout with those short rest periods, Tabata or whatever we're familiar with is going to end up making you pretty whipped by the end. You're going to be, you're going to be fried from doing six times three minutes at anaerobic threshold with 30 seconds rest. One of my favorite running workouts from back in the day. And so the concept of repeat training is you go and produce a quality effort and then you rest and recover sufficiently so that the second and the third and the fourth are going to be of similar quality and also not going to tire you out because you had enough rest in between. So I, I, I modified my sprint workout accordingly and I feel like it's been a fantastic breakthrough because I wake up the next day and I'm not fried from doing this crazy all-out sprint workout where I didn't even rest much between the reps. Now I rest plenty. I still threw down four times 100 meters or six times 100 meters at, you know, really high maximum speed, but it didn't. It didn't destroy me for the next eighteen to thirty-six hours.
1: Well, it, I I honestly think what most people think high intensity interval training is is not high intensity interval training.
0: Now, right, it, because it's too it's too tiring. So reps number four, five, six, seven, and eight. And I talked to some endurance athletes that are doing twelve quarters.
1: I'm like, why why don't you just go for a jog instead? Well, like by definition, high inten- You have to reach high intensity. Well, if if I'm doing this, I, I call it HISS, which is high intensity sustained steady state, basically. So most people are doing hiss and not hit. So they are they are working hard with insufficient rest where they work hard. So if you looked at from the start of the workout to the end of the workout, it was high intensity because you did 60 minutes of you know effort above anaerobic threshold. But true high intensity interval training is all about the intensity of the actual workout. So, like today, I, d- I just did actually this morning that workout that you just did. After my warm up, I did sprints across a football field. I did, which take roughly you know twelve to thirteen seconds, and I rest six minutes in between. And then I do that again, and then I rest six minutes in between, where I'm basically all the way back. And if I if I rested any less than that, the next bout by definition cannot be to the highest intensity that I could work. So that that's what I, I think the idea is not how much you can endure over the length of the workout. It's the performance of each interval that matters.
0: So what about the devil's advocate listening now on their drive to work or on the subway going, wait, man, don't I have to suffer in training to be able to hang with uh, the lively pace of my competitors in the
1: uh, in the Masters 5K uh, championships or what have you? Well, I would say there's a time to suffer, there's a time to survive, and there's a time to thrive. And in training, your goal is not to just survive training. Your goal is to actually get better. I think that's what we've lost, is the ability to thrive. So I say your training should be as high intensity as possible and as easy as possible. So how how hard can you work without working hard? <laughs> this guy's a quote machine, people we're, we're going to put him out on social media with the with the sound bites. So it's it's that same pull-up example. Is if I do two sets of pull-ups in the morning and the afternoon of five reps, I feel like I'm not doing anything. But over the course of that week, I've done 10 more pull-ups in my high, my quote-unquote high-intensity interval training program twice a week at three sets of 10. So now at the end of the month, I've done 40 more pull-ups. At the end of two months, I've done 80 more pull-ups. So now I am accumulating so much more training under my belt, and I, I, am, I have accumulated so much less stress on my body. And that's why I really enjoy – I believe – we should get back to self-limiting exercise. So self-limiting exercise, meaning that if I'm not able to do it, I can't train. So an example, back to the pull-up example. Somebody says, I can't do a pull-up and I want to do a pull-up. Well, what, what do they do? They do what I call cheat pull-ups. Basically, they get on a machine or they, get on a, they put a band on there. Well, what if you just hung from a bar? And built, built that ability to – that grip strength and that sh- the ability of your lats and everything to just support your body weight on that bar. So the ability to hang is the fundamental to be able to do a pull-up. But people want to skip the fundamentals and go right to the actual thing. It's kind of the barefoot running phenomenon. It's, if you could only run barefoot – you would only be able to run as fast and as hard and as long as your body could sustain but what do we do we hack that by putting this nice cushioned running shoe on you so you're at, or or getting on a treadmill where you're able to quote unquote run but you're not really able to run
0: well i i like the the concept of self limiting exercise when i reflect on how am i going to feel tomorrow morning when I flip open my laptop and it's time to go work hard and uh, pursue the uh, the high responsibilities of my life. I'm no longer a professional athlete who doesn't care about anything except for my workout performance because I don't want to trash myself, especially as we get into uh, older decades where our recovery takes longer. And I think that's, for me, been... Uh, something that's caused me to transition away from prolonged, high-stressful workouts to more of this mini-workout situation where I'll do uh, strength training apparatus here, set up conveniently in my home environment. I got the pull-up bar right here in the doorway, and if I haul off five of those, and gee, I mean, you could do it.
1: Are you allowed to do it 10 times a day to do 50 pull-ups a day? The the train-all-day philosophy is what I think first of all, it's the what the human body expects. The human body does not expect an hour at six o'clock in the morning that I do four days a week at high intensity and the rest of the day I do nothing. The human body really is – I walk a lot. I squat a lot. Every once in a while I hang from stuff. I might climb something. I might rip off pull-ups, three sets of pull-ups that are separated by hours the human body really wants to be at a low level of movement all day. Now, some of that movement might be a little more intense, some of that movement might be a little slower, but it's it's consistently happening over the course of your day. And I think a lot of times we need to build movement into our day, not think of, oh, I exercise, therefore I'm active and I move a lot. It's, how, what do you do all day long? Like, do you sit, do you stand? If you're on social media, Why don't you just be in a squat by just being a squat when you're the rule. I'm on Facebook. You're in a squat. Anytime you're on the phone, you're walking. Anytime you pass by your office, you're on that pull up bar. Anytime uh, you have a couch, you're not allowed to sit on your couch at night. You have to sit on the floor. If you're you will be amazed how much you move. If you have to sit on a hardwood floor, you you, every time you got to get up, you got to get off the ground. You got to get back on the ground. Just incorporating that into our day, it's almost like we have to outthink our uh, genetic predisposition to conserve energy. Like you have a water bottle, don't put your water bottle at your desk. Put it across the room. So every time you got to go to get a drink, you got to get up and go across the room to get your water bottle and then come back.
0: Yeah, I have a staircase and I just made a new rule uh, because I haven't lived here very long uh, and on a second floor in a long time. And so I sprint every time I have to go upstairs. And so I welcome, if I forgot my phone at the top of the stairs, oh, gee, I need it downstairs, I actually welcome the opportunity to go backtrack and have the inconvenience of forgetting something because it's yet another chance to uh, to exercise those sprint muscles. And I think uh, what, what you're doing, Logan, is you're going to destroy the fitness industry as we know it because right now everything's calibrated toward these formal prolonged workouts that in many cases with the example of a personal trainer or the workout schedule at the gym, in many cases they're going into this exhaustive workout mode where you just slam yourself for an hour, you get filled with stress hormones, you think you accomplished something, but like my reference point is like the next morning I'm feeling it and regretting that I stayed in that CrossFit workout for the whole time when if I had left at the halfway point, it would have been you know, a great fitness adaptation without the stress component, without the prolonged recovery.
1: You say I, I, I destroy the fitness. I, I I actually consult with a with a the number one uh, uh, big box gym uh, in the nation right now. And, um, I will tell you what the fitness game is. The fitness, what's a big box gym, like a, you mean a chain, uh, a gold gym, a, a 24 hour fitness, a, you know, all, all of the, the big ones that you see, LA fitness, all those. So, um, I won't say which one, but the fitness game right now, I have always been in the performance game. I, I used to think that fitness and performance were the same thing. And now I've realized they're not, um, fitness is a business. So any business is going to convince you that you need their services. So here's the fitness game is there's a magic workout program. There's a magic diet for you. You don't know. it, So you got to come to me to get it. I'm your trainer. I know it because I'm smarter than you. You don't know it, but I have it back here and it's perfect. I'm the only one that knows about it. And when you walk into a gym You see all this equipment that you're like, man, I have no idea what this equipment does. They have disempowered you from your body. They basically have convinced you that in order to to be healthy, you got to hire me or you got to come to this place and you got to get on these machines and perform this or you're going to get diabetes because if you don't come here, you're going to be unhealthy. And it's a game. And truly, you knew everything you needed to know about fitness and movement when you were in kindergarten. And all you did is you followed your instincts. You wanted to get out. You wanted to run and play. You saw a tree. You wanted to climb that. When you were playing tag, you wanted to run fast. When you were walking to school, you wanted to move slower. You parents taught you that you should eat your vegetables. I mean, you know everything right now. There is no I hate to break it to you. There is no perfect one diet for everyone. There is no perfect movement plan for everyone. The best exercise is the exercise that you will do. The best exercise is the exercise that you love to do, and so this idea that there's this perfect kind of thing that only they know is – I'll tell you, I've been in the field a long time. It's complete BS, and that is the reason why I, I honestly I, – I'm strong in my words on that side because I see – I get so many people that come to me that are so confused and they're so helpless. They've been so disempowered with their ability to actually be healthy and move properly and eat the right foods because they can't keep up. So I honestly ask them, this. I'm training. I've I've been six months. I've been training hard. I've been doing all this. I've been going to boot camp. I've been doing all this. And I just ask them one question. I say, are you getting better? Are you getting better? How's that working for you? And ninety nine point nine percent of the time it's it's not.
0: Why not over training?
1: It, it's it's not because, first of all, you are not prepared for that. Second of all, you sleep four hours a night. Third of all, you have a desk job that you work eight hours a day at that you just sit at. Fourth of all, you eat McDonald's three times a week. So it's, it's, it's a holistic approach. That's why it's not working. And the, the movement side, the exercise side, is just a very small portion of the health picture. It's the underlying lifestyle principles that are the key. I, I use this term, you don't exercise to get fit. You exercise because you are fit. Healthy people, healthy, fit people want to move. They have a ton of energy. They want to get out. They want to move. They want to do something with this um, reserve of energy that they built. Most people think that I got to exercise like a healthy person in order to get healthy. And it's not. You got to get healthy first. You got to get metabolically healthy first. Then we can start talking about, oh, okay, now you want to be able to move better or you have some ambitious goals that you want to do but we know that you can't put performance on a foundation of ill health
0: so then we starting point sleep diet daily movement patterns Fundament- and don't even don't even talk about training program
1: don't even so i don't even use the term workout or exercise anymore i use the term you have a time in your day that you might dedicate to becoming a better mover so you have dedicated movement time so your dedicated movement time is your only focus is what movements are I'm trying to get better at today. So I might be trying to get better at pulling up, I might be trying to get better at crawling on the ground. I might try to get better at uh, doing a push-up. I might be trying to get better at sprinting, I might tr- try to get better at running. That is time that I'm dedicating to movement. The rest of my day, the other 23 hours, the other 23 and a half hours, The thing that I'm trying to do is how much movement can I integrate into my lifestyle? And most people don't even need to do dedicated movement time because they don't even know what they're trying to get better at. Like if you ask them, why, why are you exercising? What are you trying to get better at? And they'll tell you, I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to gain muscle. Well, I used to tell my athletes this when you're, they used to say, I want to gain some muscle. So what exercises should I do? And I would ask them a question. Uh, when you're exercising, are you gaining muscle or are you breaking muscle down? And they would say, well, I'm breaking muscle down, right? And so i said, when are you gaining muscle? Uh, when I eat and when I sleep. So I'm saying, well, if you want to gain muscle, why are you worried about what exercises you're doing? Why don't you worry about your sleep and your diet? <laughs> because the truth is there is no exercise that is the right exercise for gaining muscle. All you have to do is provide the stimulus for the muscle to grow. So any exercise will do that. Anything will do that above threshold. So there is no, I got to do dumbbell bench and then I got to do my dumbbell flies and then that. No, if you just put your body under load, it will adapt, but it will only adapt if you're sleeping eight, nine, 10 hours a night where you get the growth hormone testosterone release and if you're eating the right foods. So we we worry about what, we always want to worry about what is the thing I can do and we don't worry about the other stuff that I should be paying attention to. Um, and, and that's the key I'm learning in today's society is people like, I'm not recovering well. Uh, should I go to cryotherapy? Should I do get a massage? Should I foam roll? And it's like, no, how about you like go to bed when the sun goes down <laughs> and wake up when the sun comes up. And that's cause that any amount of cryo or foam rolling that you do is not going to be as productive as two and a half million years of evolution designed that you go to sleep when the sun goes down.
0: So it's a sensible message. It's very agreeable. I can't imagine people countering that, that sleep is less important. And if you just train harder, you're going to get through that, right? Uh, So where is the disconnect in the would-be athlete embracing all this stuff and carrying it out? And I I propose one of my thoughts is that uh, the desire to... uh, you know express uh, obsessive- compulsive personality outlet into high intensity workouts and just burn energy uh, as, a, as a vent for whatever the other frustrations of life are a really strong component in this uh, flawed approach to training where we get into overstress patterns and ignore the, the, the beautiful benefits conveyed by sleeping enough and uh, doing regular movement and sitting on your floor instead of your couch.
1: Well, you're correct, is there's, again, two things there is the societal, um, uh, the societal message that you've been drilled into you since you were young is if you want to get better, you have to work hard and suffer, right, that it it, it can't be easy to attain uh, health and well-being. Uh, When I truly believe health and well-being is the default for the human, it's just the default. And what we do is we just screw it up. So a lot of people, they, they think that I, it it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy as just, you know, relax and go to sleep on time and eat a good diet and just move kind of how I want to and not too stressful and all that. They think it's that there's no way that could work. Also, there is a, I've worked with quite a bit of people. There is a fair share of people that, um, they use exercise to punish themselves. Uh and and honestly, I usually ask our runners when they come to me and they say, um, you know, I run this much and I run a lot and I do this and I'm hurt. And I say, I ask them two questions. What are you running from and what are you running to? There and and a lot of times people are running from something. They're not running to something. So the I I believe that that exercise can be a self-medicated thing. It can be a punishment thing. People use exercise to punish them, uh, for, um, for a bad, a poor diet or a, or a night of drinking. Like people always ask, like, do you have a cheat day? Like, do you have a cheat day? Like, do you ever just have a cheat day? Um, and I'm like, okay, um, uh, do me and my wife have a cheat day? Like, do I get to have a cheat? No, <laughs> oh, I, I I love my wife. I care about my wife. So why would I have a cheat day? Well, I love my body. I care for my body. If I'm having to cheat from my normal diet and normal exercise, then it's not the right diet and exercise for me. I should enjoy that. So I think a lot, a lot of times, you know, the whole thing of I got to get a workout in. I mean, that's a terrible thought process. Like I have to get this in like, you should want to do that. Um, I, I I just I believe that a lot of it gets into the psychological realm, is why are you doing what you do? Why are you exercising? Are you running from something? Or are you trying to achieve something? Now, if you're trying to achieve something, if you're working towards a goal, I think that's very productive. I think that's a productive outlet for movement. So I'm trying to I, – I, I, I want to do this goal. My next question would be um, – why do you want to do that goal? So, I'll give you a little, I'll give you to, to bring all this home, Brad. I'll, I'll get, I'll tell you what I ask people that are weight loss clients. Weight, uh, somebody might come to me that says, I want to lose weight. Okay. My next question is, why do you want to lose weight? And they say, well, you know, I'm 15 pounds heavier than I was in my 20s. And I'm like, okay. Uh, why do you, why were you happier then? Oh, I, I felt more energetic. I had, you know, Uh, I I had different hobbies. I felt good about myself. Um, I moved a lot. I had a lot of different activities. So in my head, they really want to be youthful and vital and be able to move and have energy. And they think losing 15 pounds is going to be the means to the end. So what I say to them is, what if I just taught you how to move energetically and in many different ways and you enjoyed it? And I put you out in nature where you're actually absorbing some of this free energy that you don't even you don't even see instead of artificial light in a gym and you actually enjoy your movement program and you feel good about yourself and oh by the way you're probably going to lose 15 pounds (laughs) (laughs) it's switching the means and the end is so many people society has told them that guys if you gain muscle you uh will have every every chick that you dream of and and females if you lose fat every guy will want to be around you. And it's just not true. It's just a it's, it's a BS message that's out there is is really honestly what people are striving for is movement. They really want to move better because when you move better, you feel better about yourself. And when you move better in life, this is how we experience life. We experience life via movement. And so the better you move, the better you live.
0: Well, you're also getting to the power of the intrinsic motivator rather than putting it onto. <clears throat> my race goal is X, so I need to start training for it today and be compelled to knock off these certain number of miles or test yourself with uh, times going over your practice route. And uh, sometimes that stuff kind of unravels, unless you're a crazed elite athlete who's living and breathing this stuff and and good for you. And may that be your path to happiness, because sometimes it's not easy. Uh, But for the average person out there who's uh, compelled by these external motivators uh, it's food for thought that hey how about just uh, a goal of enjoying your day more by engaging in these different forms of movement which happen to be not torturously stressful like the usual workout patterns are
1: we we, we everybody understands that processed foods that man-made foods are not good for you right i mean pretty much everybody understands that it's like a. Uh, What's the Michael Pollan quote? Is man is the uh, the only animal smart enough to make its own food, but only animal dumb enough to eat it. So we we know that. Well, what I think is modern day exercise is processed food. It's processed movement. So it's it's. I'm in this. I'm in this. Uh, I'm in this gym that is artificially lit, and there's a perfect weighted thing we call a dumbbell that has a nice number 40 on it. So I know it's 40 pounds and has a perfect handle that I can grab when in actuality I can go out my backyard and I can grab any stone and it's actually, I can get the same benefit as a dumbbell. The only thing is I don't know how heavy it is and I can't exactly grasp it. So I actually have to work harder to do that. So we kind of had this processed idea with exercise is, and if it really, most of exercise out there, it's just, it's just, it's processed movement. And that's what we don't understand. So if your goal is actually true human movement, we got to get back to the basics.
0: We got to get back to the basics when we hit mile 20 at the marathon, because you don't feel as good as mile one. And how are you going to get from mile 20 to mile 26? And a lot of people think it's more mileage, more of the same, but We know when those hip flexors blow up and the lower back starts to cramp up and the hamstrings start to cramp up that maybe, just maybe, all this accumulated movement and picking up rocks in your backyard and building a retaining wall and all that stuff, which we think is a distraction from our training, could be the missing ingredient to being a more resilient athlete for whatever you're doing. Even crazy stuff like running 26 miles. Not to discount that you can all of a sudden, you know, drop from 50 miles a week to to nine and improve your marathon PR time. But there's a little bit. There's a bigger picture here that's been widely ignored, and I think is ripe for uh, for at least trying something out. Like when you get someone to come into Austin Vitality and they're a classic endurance athlete, and they say, "Well, I have 12 hours a week to devote to training. That's the buy-in I've gotten from my my spouse and my uh, my work responsibilities. And right now, I'm swimming this much and biking this much and running this much. Uh, what's an example of how you might redirect this hypothetical person? into some other uh, behavior patterns that might serve to throw down a new PR come next season?
1: Well, the, the big thing I try to do is frame it in context. So what would be a success for them? And if they say, oh, the success is obviously finishing the marathon without dying, um, that is a pretty shallow thing because we can do that. I mean, my mom can do that. Uh, my, uh, my wife can finish a marathon right now um, without dying. And
0: so, oh yeah, Logan. When I go to a, um, a a live presentation, I always use the example of my gun training program. So I, I go up to some poor sucker in the front row and pretend to put a gun to their head and say, uh, "You know, you realize that you could do the marathon right now. All I have to do is put a gun to your head." It's a concept. I love it. Yeah, you just go go grab somebody off the street and say, "Hey." Yeah.
1: So so that that is the shallow part of it. But what if the what if the goal of the marathon is actually you want to learn something about yourself or you want to you want to propel yourself forward in health that this that this one marathon training for this one marathon might propel you for the rest of your your you know 30 40 years that you have on this planet so when you frame it like that guess what we want to build habits we want to build a new lifestyle that's going to be a healthy lifestyle Oh, by the way, when we do perform our dedicated movement time, we're going to work towards the goal of running that marathon. Okay, but we we obviously know with with the uh, Maffetone approach and the primal endurance approach that a lot goes into your running performance than just running. So we have to we have to first of all I have to frame that in context that. The healthier you are, the better you will perform, the better you will perform. And there is no perfect training program for that marathon. It's not it's only the perfect training program is you. It's not uh, what you saw online or it's not what some coach gave to you that you got to accumulate up to a 20 mile run two weeks out. and All of this stuff is it's what you can do right now. And I guarantee you that you can take anybody, anybody. And, and run them way less than they think they should run. Take half of what they really think they should run and they will perform unbelievable at the marathon. It's always better to be 10% undertrained than to be 1% overtrained. That's a big thing that people don't understand. So I try to frame people's goals in a context of why are you actually doing this? Are you just doing this because you think the marathon is some big achievement I mean, I'm like, have you gone to a marathon? You see the people that finish it. It's not that it's not that big of an achievement. I mean, anybody can do it, really, honestly. But if you want to be you versus you, let's actually use this to propel you forward in your life. Actually, grow.
0: I love it. I'm thinking back to your concept that you called um, uh, the, the you know the basic adaptation threshold, and so just just inching above that is giving you an incremental gain, and it might not be. If, you can, if you're capable of going out and jogging for 30 minutes, let's say, uh, and I'm, I'm experimenting with this myself uh, this year, where I've, I, I usually just run every single day of, of my life for many, many years just to get out and get some exercise. And um, I thought that was important to maintain some level of consistency, but I realized that if I cut back a few days, when I go out there and jog the 30 minutes, I often feel better because I'm not doing it every single day.
1: Exactly. You the So if you take somebody that's from the couch, let's say, that hasn't run at all, if they go out and run one minute, that's above their threshold for adaptation. Congratulations. Congratulations. You've for run, real. You've run one minute. So then the next so starting them there and just gradually building a habit. Now maybe that habit, like you said, might be three times a week. It might be four times a week. It might be every day. Some, some people like a consistent everyday type of thing. Now, if you're one of those consistent everyday type of things, you better be working pretty way below your threshold because you can't consistently go way above your threshold every single day. So I, I, again, just being better today, not what, what should I do? I want ask, what should I do? What, what are the foods I should eat? What, what are the exercises I should do? It's just be better today. Worry about just being better. Better the next day. Better the next day. Better the next day. And my dad taught me a long time ago, you throw enough better days together, you end up with a really good day.
0: You end up going, wow, I got strong and fit. I can't believe it. You know, there's the legend of uh, the great uh, ancient Greek Olympic athlete uh, called Milo. He was the greatest wrestler of uh, ancient Olympic times. And uh, the, the, the story goes that, um, he would pick up uh, the, the calf on his farm every day since the day the calf was born. Just pick it up once, lift it off the ground, put it back down. And then pretty soon the guy's picking up a, a 500 pound animal and going to the Olympics and, and whomping on the wrestlers.
1: And so what he, what he found, like in that, the, the moral of that is basically he's working extremely intense, basically lifting a cow. But he's doing it in a very submaximal way where it's very easy for him. It's it's kind of your approach. Or y'all were, I think you and Andrew were talking one time on one of your podcasts about you 90 know, percent of y'all's training as elite triathletes was super comfortable. But if I watched you training, I'm like, man, those guys are going after it. Those guys are working hard. And that's what people – you know, they, the high school kid looks in men's health and reads JJ Watt's extra workout program, and they're like, oh, if I just do that, I'm going to be JJ Watt. When, you know, I tell them, if you want to be JJ Watt, you better go get Mr. and Mrs. JJ Watt's parents, and um, they have another kid, and hopefully it's you, because that's the only way you're going to be JJ Watt. And so that workout program for JJ Watt might be super comfortable, but for you, it might be way over that threshold. So, what people have to really do is self evaluate what am I capable of doing today? And how can I just be incrementally better the next day? It's not throwing, you know, people try to change their diet and they throw everything out of their pantry and throw everything out. And then they're like, I'm just only eating kale and chicken breast now or whatever. And it's just not sustainable. What you have to do is just make incremental changes. And we know we we know that with sleep, we know that with stress, and we know that with nutrition, but I don't think we've crossed that gap into exercise yet.
0: Logan Schwartz killing it, man. I, I knew there was a reason we, we met at Paleo FX and 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 dude spelling's giving me the nudge to say, get this guy on your podcast. He's gonna kill it. So that was some that was some great stuff. I really appreciate talking to people on the cutting edge and rethinking some of these dated notions about fitness that are no longer serving us. So when you go to Austin Vitality, AustinVitalityCoach.com, uh, tell us what kind of services can we get? Uh, do we have to show up in Austin to engage with you or how does it work?
1: Well, I'll tell you now, I, uh, you won't find me on Facebook, Instagram or any of that. Basically, yeah, man. Basically, I work one-on-one. I don't do any marketing. I work off of uh, word of mouth. Um, I work with a small group of clients um, because I have some other ventures that I'm doing. Um, I teach, uh, I, do, I do quite a bit of mentoring with other trainers. Um, so those are a lot of my clients or other people in coaches and trainers in the business. And um, they're trying to get better at what they do and provide better services for their clients. So I've learned really quickly that if I had a ton of clients, it overstresses me. And so what I try to do is branch out to the trainers, and then they filter out to their clients. So that's kind of my niche in the world. So um, basically, I will respond to email. So if you go to um, there and you want to work with me, um, I will respond to email, and if I, I'll answer a lot of questions for free. Um, I'm just kind of I'm passionate about this. I'm not in this obviously to make money or to make a name for myself. I um, I just really enjoy speaking about you know, health movement, um, and helping people towards their goals and trying to actually, I really am really honestly trying to reframe the message that's out there. Um, because I think it's a very deleterious message. Um, and I think a lot of people are just honestly trying to kill themselves in the name of health and performance.
0: (laughs) Oh, Logan Schwartz, closing it up nicely. Go check out Austin vitality com. Listeners, do it right away because when this show comes out, I think you're going to be bombarded, man. If you're, and especially if you're a competitive athlete who's worked through a lot of the protocols that are out there that are popular and you want to have a true breakthrough in your health and fitness, this is where it's at, man. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, Brad. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive. We're we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table it's true my daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the primal kitchen wilder <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing actually she does we have a local state park called wilder ranch oh yeah and uh, she calls the ranch dressing wilder ranch dressing <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that it's just too per- <laughs> so, so endearing uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh, my God. So she likes, like, the mayo on Oh, yeah, on. She, so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have, uh, we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the, the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that what an authentic spot from chris kelly at nourish balance thrive and yes primal kitchen you can call it wilder ranch dressing if you want <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're they're trying to make ends meet in santa cruz mountains thank you very much chris <laughs> it's my pleasure